0: Yes, it is, and welcome back. What a delight uh, it is, as always, whenever I can have him, and I'm so glad I have him on a day like today. That's Pete Peterson. He is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, one of my favorite uh, institutions and one of my favorite public intellectuals. Uh, If you want to get a sense of it, it was actually a tweet he put out earlier in the week, a sense of what the Pepperdine School is all about. He tweeted, From our founding, by the likes of James Q. Wilson, Jack Kemp and Michael Novak ellipses on he went has placed a premium on viewpoint diversity in the classroom. Boy, wouldn't you like to go to a school founded by the likes of Wilson Kemp and novak that That was the school I grew up in, by the way. It just wasn't a physical edifice. I grew up on their knees. We'll talk more about them in a minute. Pete, Happy Friday.
1: Great to be with you, Seth.
0: Really nice to be with you too. I told you ahead of time I wanted. You know what might be fun? Think, put this in the back of your head. If I can interrupt myself, maybe yeah. it would be fun somewhere in this interview for you to tell me one thing about each of those guys. You've learned something, or or think of them as representing. Oh yeah, well, that would be fun. I'll do it too. Um, yeah. But I invited you because I was. You know these these concepts going around um, and and and, and uh, around the country and around certainly the kinds of things you and I engage in on a daily basis talk radio academic conferences that you're involved in schools cancel culture unity and more and more I'm reading it started about 2 years ago and I'm just reading it more and more that we're in something that I just think is so tragic a cold civil war there are sometimes other adjectives for the civil war we're in but uh, uh, which is I I think is resultant from our uh disunity And i'm just wondering what you're seeing these days
1: yeah i'm afraid uh we're continuing to see that uh and it was a poignant line i must say uh from the inaugural the president's inaugural address about uh, a cold civil war um because i'm afraid that that's that's what's happening uh we certainly have seen it on america's college campuses uh we have seen it In our public squares and as we've discussed here many times before Seth the inability of uh, those of us who care deeply about politics um, to engage with one another in a civil way um, is not only damaging the value of those decisions it's also dissuading many from even wanting to (laughs) get engaged, that the whole theory around rational ignorance uh, really is rational, but not for reasons that the political scientists originally told us, which was to say one vote amongst millions really doesn't uh, make a lot of sense to engage in that kind of process. People are now rationally opting out of politics just because of what they're seeing as Uh, a shouting match.
0: And hopelessness. I have to tell you, it it was a round of uh, calls I had in the last hour just on that very point, Pete, um, ironically enough, or coincidentally enough, perhaps, about uh, people saying, you know, what's the use anymore? What's the use? Which is not where I counsel, but nonetheless, it's out there.
1: It is, but I I do think that if there's any silver lining to uh, the current state of affairs is that people are beginning to realize what can happen if they don't get involved. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've said a few times that, you know, the political scientist Mansur Olson had the logic of collective action essentially boils down to um, those with the most at stake will often have the most influence Mm -hmm. on, on, on decisions And I think people are realizing across a variety of different areas. I'm sure you've talked about the recent San Francisco School Board decision. A lot. A lot. And what's so remarkable about that story, as more and more reporting is becoming evident about it, is that it was a very insular decision uh, made really without any public engagement. And now, Mm -hmm. even the residents of San Francisco who are otherwise. I'm sure politically left in a lot of different ways are are really outraged.
0: the mayor was I was liked just, what the mayor said. Yeah, did you, say, you saw what the, she said maybe next time you guys convene, we can talk about opening schools <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right right. <laughs> right, something like that right?
1: No, that's right, yeah. and again those are those are kind of the stakes that uh when when we are not engaged, when the calmer voices, if you will are not engaged uh we we can turn over decision making processes and policy making processes to the most ideological and the most vested.
0: My favorite part of that story, I have to tell you, just it's a laugh line, but it's a crying line. My favorite part of that story was when they came upon Roosevelt Elementary School, and they weren't sure if it was named after Theodore or Franklin. (laughs) So they just said, well, let's not take a chance. Let's cancel the name anyway. (laughs) That was my favorite part of the story. Did you pick up on that? Did you see that? I did. And,
1: you know, there's a great piece, actually, in one of these local... um, News blogs uh, called Mission Local because the Mission District in San Francisco, and the reporter actually looked into uh, the meeting notes and the the video of the various Zoom meetings that led up to this decision, and people were quoting from Wikipedia entries. Sure. People were sure. pulling like random references that they thought they saw something on the history sure. channel. Sure. I mean, these, sure. I read these it on Facebook. Right. Yeah. That's right.
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: But that, these were school board members making really these significant decisions that they really had no background. Right.
0: In. right. 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 And, um, you know, I, it's a shame in, in so many ways because I, I'm, I'm just bewitched with, the focus on um you know what the kids are taught um there's the old famous story that alan ginsburg told norman puthoritz who wasn't buying his shtick Podhoritz wasn't buying Ginsberg's shtick and ginsburg leaves puthoritz's apartment slams the door and said we'll get you through your children uh, the the, yeah. the left understood that and we didn't and yeah. um and so they go ever younger i um I I do a lot of work in the prevention field, Pete, the substance abuse or use prevention field, you know, and we used to start, you know, teaching kids in the 10th and 11th grade. And as we learned, sadly, we were starting too late. We have to go to the 8th grade and 7th grade. Now we have to go into the 4th grade. You saw that in dropout prevention work, too. We were starting too late, you know, and we have to go younger and younger. Well, the left, the left got this with politics intimately, and they're starting with toddlers now
1: no it's um it's something again that I think people are becoming more well aware of uh, and sir I'm I'm sure you've also covered the story about the recall that's happening here in California not as much like. as I
0: should a little bit mention it, but feel free to go with it yeah feel well free.
1: I have to say I have to confess I thought this was a lark a month ago right um, the effort to recall uh, the sitting governor Gavin Newsom um, but Things have changed so dramatically. Um, They have to reach one and a half million valid signatures. The latest word is that they're at 1.3, and they're going to qualify this. I really do believe that they will, uh, which will mean a recall measure question will be put on the ballot by the end of this year. And uh, whether that succeeds or not, whether we have a repeat of what we went through back in 2003, which obviously brought uh, the governator uh, to uh, prominence, is not as important as just this being a demonstration of a general exhaustion of what I call the blue state model, which is to say that as long as we pay higher taxes and higher energy costs and higher gas taxes and so forth, we are to expect – Better services better roads better everything coming from the government and we have not seen any of those things we have seen ideology and this renaming of the schools in San Francisco is really kind of a metaphor <laughs> it's a reality but it's also a metaphor for uh, focusing on these ideological issues as opposed to the real reason why you are there in public service Why
0: you have a school
1: that's right. Yeah.
0: No but but you raise a really deep point in The Road to Serfdom Frederick Hayek's book The Road to Serfdom at the end of the book he ponders the question of whether freedom is only valued after it's lost that is to say do we go through socialist totality? do we must we he says who asks he asks the question he doesn't know i think he leaves it mm-hmm. as an open must we go through socialist totalitar- totalitarianism um, before the forces of freedom gather strength. And um, it's an awful large cost if, if, if so. But I do wonder if that's the throes, if those are the, the pangs California may be going through right now. There's only so much serfdom people are willing to put up with or up with which they will put to borrow from Churchill. Can I bar- can I keep you a while? I have to hit a quick break. Absolutely. Uh, yep. This is great stuff. Uh, I'm Seth Leibson. He's... Pete Peterson, the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Uh, A lot of alliteration, but it's a great website, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. We'll be right back. I sometimes wonder if Pete Peterson wonders if I'm going to ruin his good reputation. He's got a great reputation. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, my candidate to run, actually, for governor, if there is a recall effort. But we can talk about that another time. Pete, right before the break, uh, you were talking about that recall effort in California as a sign of a um, dissatisfaction, perhaps exhaustion. Uh, I'll let you use whatever word you want. And it had me thinking of, of the question that um, Frederick Hayek uh, postulates at the end of, or proffers at the end of uh, Road to Serfdom about whether freedom is only valued once it's lost. And, and I wondered if you might want to pick up on that a little bit more.
1: Yeah, thanks. So I, I think what you know Hayek is obviously thinking in very ideological terms, I, I think what we're experiencing in California actually is a different dynamic. Which is to say, it's not so much ideological as it's as it's almost purely pragmatic rational to say yeah. Yeah. that people are feeling that government is letting them down mm-hmm. right so let's just pull a few different uh bullet points here to back up that point uh California apparently just reached uh from 49th, now has dipped into last place in the percentage of vaccines available to it which they have actually put into people's arms okay uh we think about school closures and business closures Mm -hmm. right they impact not only on the economy but on families we've heard statements from school districts including the la unified school district in which the union has stepped forth to say that they will not open not when not until the when the teachers are all vaccinated but until the students Are all vaccinated. This
0: may be the first or second largest school district in the country, I think.
1: Without any leadership stepping forth to say, A, that's not based in science, and B, basically what you're saying is that you're going to close down the public schools for the rest of the school year. Yeah. We have the power shutoffs that we went through uh, last fall, and we're beginning to see. This year, again, that we're paying some of the highest energy prices, uh, but yet dealing with an energy infrastructure that's not able to withstand high winds. (laughs) And of course, we've got this the broader state of play uh, regarding the cost of housing, the cost of living, businesses leaving the state and going to places like Phoenix. Um, maybe much to your <laughs> your chagrin, um, but suffice it to say, uh, all this is adding up to uh, this general recipe where people are wondering, why am I paying for all this and not seeing the results in the services that I've been promised?
0: So Leibson can call it totalitarianism or socialism or Hayek can, but it doesn't matter. The government's just not working, and things just aren't working. So you had, you saw that uh, restaurant tour in Southern California. Last name is Marsden, Pineapple Saloon. Talking yes. about right. So yeah. I heard her interviewed on a Prager show, and he said, "I'm not going to ask you what your politics are, but are you now going to be much more politically active?" And she said something akin to, um, "The way I look at it is." Um, these problems we are having are a result of the government and the government is run by democrats so i am opposing that yeah a- and, and 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 that speaks a little to what you're saying and it makes me ponder whether more hayek than what you're saying but it just makes me ponder you know you never know where your next conservative is going to come from if it will be uh the tours and the small business people who probably were liberals, quite frankly, if they were in Sa- Southern California, I mean that would just be the smart bet. I just wonder well, if they're the going to be our next round of converts. I just wonder.
1: And and the and the public school parents.
0: And the public school parents, correct.
1: Right. I mean, these 1.3 million signatures that have been amassed thus far on the on the petition to recall the governor; those aren't all Republican signatures. That's a very good point. Uh, I I know more than a few Democrat friends of mine who have uh, received the direct mail piece soliciting signature and filled it out and sent it back.
0: See, there's something weird, and I I, I say this as a speechwriter or a former speechwriter more than I do a conservative or a Republican. There's something weird. I don't know if you've picked up on this. I've watched Joe Biden's, uh, you know, almost every press conference or whatever. They're not press conferences. It's almost every speech since he's become president. And he talks about jobs. He always says union jobs. I don't know if you've picked yeah. up on that. There's something yeah. weird about that. Um, and I don't mean this as a political point. As a speechwriting point, the idea that he's qualifying the job, it's a weird thing. And I wonder if just on the point, you know, people in California – uh, and Phoenix. Uh, these are not huge or Arizona. These are not huge union states in, in many respects, but they are big you know, the teachers union is really the only union most people know of. I wonder if yeah. that's going to work against him when he keeps talking about union jobs. I wonder if people are going to think, well, the only union I really know is um, is the enemy of my child.
1: Well, it'll be interesting to see. You raise a very good point. Those words are they are speeches, not off the cuff answers. Uh, so that is uh, that is text that has been written and a phrase or two words that have been joined. Mm-hmm. And I do think, again, um, the the internal debate that's happening now, even on the left, and it's happening here in California, especially on these issues, again, around education, cost of living, lack of public service performance, yet at the same time, extremely high taxes, cost of energy, uh, and again, cost of living more broadly, that's just not sustainable. Right. And right. seen through the lens of the pandemic. You know, Seth, I was speaking to somebody here in the office the other day who uh, knows she lived in a, in a neighborhood with a number of families. She said, Pete, I know we've got fourth graders in my neighborhood who are live, who are at home alone during the day. Yeah, of course, right. Doing classes online.
0: Right. Or not. And, yeah.
1: and I mean, this is – it doesn't have to be this right. way. The science does not bear this out. No. And that's those are the kinds of things that pull coalitions apart. Yep. And, of course, the dominant coalition here in California is the one on the left – and it is constituted by those that are not being served by the policies coming from Sacramento or from these major public sector unions.
0: Uh, there's so much to say about this. And, 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 of course, the first thing is, so you've got to give people an alternative, obviously, that goes yes. without saying Um the 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 wasted money, the wasted effort. That's that's another thing that you were talking of. I'm I'm still thinking about that San Francisco San Francisco uh, school school uh, the school district. So so this was done by an organization that they passed a law to create in San Francisco a committee on names. You couldn't have a more Orwellian thing, by the way. The committee on names. That's what did this in San Francisco. Just how about a committee on math? You know that kind yes. of thing must drive parents nuts too. Why do we have a committee on names? Is this really what we're paying? Anyway, I got to I got to take a break. You you can stay a bit, right? You're good? Yes. Okay. Yep. I'm Seth, you're in California. Where are you going? Where are you going to go? I'm Seth Leepsen, he's Pete Peterson. He is the dean, one of my favorite public intellectuals. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Pete Peterson with us, Dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Hey, Pete, on your on your point about you know these regulations and rules that people are suffering under, particularly in California, that may be less ideological in their effect, not maybe in 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 their wholesale dissemination and promulgation, but at least yeah, in their yeah. effect on the citizen, not making sense. Larry Elder just sent out a tweet with a headline: "LA County says no TVs for outdoor diners at local restaurants." I mean, it just makes there's no reason for this other than that yeah. they can do that. I mean, you know, probably because they don't want people dwelling. My God, you know, my God.
1: No, uh, we heard a, and it, it I, I, it's one of those things that I remember getting notified about it, and then it didn't seem to you know, uh, be something that was instantiated, but there was a proclamation from the governor back in, uh, late November, early December, in which all Californians were not supposed to go beyond 120 miles from their house. Right,
0: right, right. Um, cause that's where uh, the virus but, stopped
1: I know.
0: no matter where your house was.
1: <laughs> and you just, you just try to, you know, do one of those cinema verite things where you go into the office where you know the health department officials are. Should it be a hundred or one hundred fifty? You know, they're throwing darts. Oh, you dart know, boards. you know that
0: committees met and memos were written, and, and people said things like, "If we say two hundred, that'll be too high; they won't go for it." If we say one hundred, you know, you know those conversations took place, right? You know, memos were written. And they had to come up with a number that the people would accept,
1: yeah, now it's again it's uh it's ludicrous, and it would be one thing if it were you know it's the it's really that two part combination that really can be so deleterious for trust in government. one, yep. it doesn't make any sense, yep. two, it really does have an adverse impact on people,
0: yeah. And if you right. want a civil war that looks like a revolution, you, you, you take away the trust in government, don't you?
1: And one that, that cuts across all party lines. Exactly
0: right. Exactly right. Exactly you right. Know. So I, I did say, you know, so you've got to give the people something to replace it with. That's the work you're in. I, you know, Yeah. So I think the students you train and send out there are our potential future obvious leaders on these things. Um, I'd like to see you run for governor. Are you able to say whether you are planning to or not?
1: I am definitely not. Okay, we, that, I will I'll say, take that as a hey, yes. I've got. Hey, you've. I think you may have been on campus before, here, Seth. I've got an ocean view office. I get to prepare the next generation of. Yeah, but
0: leaders. you could sit in the chair Ronald Reagan sat.
1: <laughs> you know, Ronald Reagan has sat here. On I know. I times. knew you were. I
0: knew. I knew the minute <laughs> I said it, you had a better retort. I knew.
1: But do it's you want to have fun I...
0: for a minute? You want to have fun for a sec?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you wrote, you tweeted that Pepperdine was founded on the um, on, on on the basis of of the work of people like Jim Wilson, Michael Novak, and Jack Kemp.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Say something about what you would have learned or taken from each one of those. That sure. would be a fun thing. And well, I'll do, I'll let's do the first same. take.
1: Yeah, let's take Jack Kemp, okay, who was our uh, Salvatori uh, visiting professor here for the first few years of the program. Um. That famous phrase, nobody cares what you know until they know you care. Right. Right. This understanding that it can't just be the quantitative understanding that this is the reason why policy A is better than policy B without really taking into account the impact of policy on real people. Nice. Uh, and that really is I mean that has been the critique of all graduate policy schools Perfect. right that we are the ones that prepare the experts that go out and tell the public how stupid they are, yep, you know yep, and Kemp was really that that public leader who understood that people don't think often in quantitative terms, they think about the impact of policy on them, so yep. you need to speak in those terms nice um Wilson, who came to the policy school shortly after writing you know his classic the moral sense. Actually, you know I gained the same thing from him, which was understanding that as much as there's a quantitative aspect of policy, there really is this human dimension. Uh, he said famously once that I know before I start a research project that if it doesn't match up with logic or human nature, it's probably not right.
0: I love that. Hold the thought. I'm going to keep you one more yep. segment on this, and okay. we'll do Novak. That reminds me, have I shared the quote with you? I may have. I never know if I overdid it or not. But it reminds me of the great quote that I think used to be in the military. If um, if the map and the ground disagree, the map is wrong. <laughs> That's very Right? Good. Right?
1: Yeah, I haven't heard that yeah. one. Oh, That's okay, good. good. Okay,
0: good. New to you. <laughs> All right. I'll be right back with you, Pete. Good. Pete Peterson, you get to meet a lot of interesting people in your career, but do you want to know when I knew I made it? What was that? You, did you hear that Jimmy Buffett song we came into Yes, with? yes, yes. I, yes. Had a, I was talking about Jimmy Buffett on the air one day for some reason or other, and I had a caller, a female caller. Um, this was about two and a half, three years ago. She was literally the woman he wrote that song about. Oh
1: my goodness.
0: Yeah. I, I could have retired then. That's all I needed. <laughs> Very good. That's all I needed. Anyway, Pete, so your school, the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, was founded on the works of Jim Wilson, Michael Novak, yep. Jack Kemp. You said a word about Kemp, you did a little Jim Wilson. Feel free yep. to say more about James if you want Jim if you want to, but Michael Novak.
1: Yeah well no, I'll just say also about Wilson his classic work on bureaucracy right. um, was also a part of uh, and remains a part of our coursework here, right. which is to understand sometimes the best ideas going into the bad or uh, sclerotic systems mm-hmm. will prevent the common good from happening. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that just because we say something as the government or public service without really analyzing institutions and organizations uh, was really and remains a powerful argument that uh, uh, was made by Wilson and others.
0: You know, I think about that in the context of public education all the time. We say it, we say it, we say it, public education, and everyone forgets it's about educating the public.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, And to also understand that institutions can be reformed as well. Yep um but we are still dealing with human beings right yep. that was the point that wilson wilson started the the way that the story goes the first meeting of of the blue ribbon panel to help design the curriculum uh wilson grabs the microphone and in a small group says well now who exactly is the public right Right. And unless we get that part it, right, yeah. sometimes the public isn't even the one that's in front of you. Yep. It's, it's the public that's come behind yep. you and the public you're passing the baton to. That's right. You know? so, that's right. That's right. So, Novak uh, taught a course here on uh, religion and the founding fathers. Again, very early years of the policy school, late 90s, early 2000s. And from him, his work and ability to tie. Uh, if you will, Athens and Jerusalem together uh, to understand that freedom depends on virtue, virtue depends on faith. Nice. Uh, Not exclusively, but certainly powerfully and importantly. Nice. And his ability to to tie that in together and the importance of religious liberty, not only for individual human beings, but also for democratic uh, societies, and then obviously his work in the spirit of democratic capitalism, looking at this now from the lens of of political economy uh, just powerful and again foundational works here
0: that's beautiful stuff you know it's a fun country and it's a small and great country when I was in grad school and you know didn't know anything and had a lot of hair and you know <laughs> on my head and you know whatever <laughs> i was I took a course um, not far from you, about forty miles away, uh, uh, in Claremont, in grad school yes. on, on, uh, on 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 uh, criminal law, and we were reading some books by Jim James Q Wilson. You know, he he wrote a lot on on uh, crime as well as bureaucracy, and then you know, life is funny. I you know, I think I, I I the way life worked out for me. I think one of the last public events he was at, I was sitting next to him. You know, just the way the world works. You know, at a private table. Um. But Jim Wilson was the master. Heather MacDonald's teacher, of course, um, she would credit him. He would would credit probably Edward Banfield's work on crime and urban planning and bureaucracy and that uh, the greatest cause of crime is not poverty would have been a thesis he spent a lot of time on. I could say a lot about Michael Novak. I I put a lot of um, conferences together where I used him back in the day. But the one thing he once said I will never forget, and I quote often, my producer knows it by heart as well. Um, A country that venerates moral virtue has 300 million policemen. Yeah. A country that denigrates it can never hire enough. Yeah, I loved that, I, uh, and I will quote it to that's my dad.
1: Yeah, and yeah, of that's right. Jacket. You know the difference yeah. between internal governance and external. Yep. You know, and if and if we don't govern ourselves, we we will be governed from without.
0: You bet. Yeah, you bet. And Jack, I could I could speak millions of words on. I was privileged to be his chief of staff at one point. Oh. I will say another thing though about Henry Salvatore. You mentioned that Jack was the Salvatore professor. That's right. I got to yep. meet Salvatore. Uh, my professor, Harry Jaffa, was the Henry Salvatore research professor at Claremont. Yeah,
1: he was very involved at Claremont, I remember. Yeah, I remember and Sa- so
0: Salvatore it. was a—he uh, he made a, a mint off inventing a uh, oil drill bit, as yeah. I recall. That's right. And I was privileged—I I don't. I, I never met Ronald Reagan, but I was in the room where he spoke one night, and it was at one of those fancy hotels in California. I couldn't remember which one. You've probably been there a million times. And uh, Reagan was the featured speaker. And I was yeah. on my way out to get my car at the valet. And I was standing next to Henry Salvatore. And this must have been circa 1992-ish. Mm. And I mm. said to him, cause, so he was along in years at that point. He was, Yeah. And I said to him, I just want to thank you for everything you do. And he looked at me, and I shook his hand, and he looked at me. and he said, well, one does what one can. But there's nothing great in conservatism in California that was done without him.
1: No, oh no, no, no. It's like uh, Dennis Prager always says: there are those on the front lines yep. and those who support those yep. on the front lines. Yep. You know, yep. and, and uh, you and you need both. Mm. You need both for sure.
0: Well, Pete, um, there's a million things we could do, but it's Friday. Yep, you're you're looking at the beach probably.
1: It's actually a pretty cloudy day here. I must say. A good a good time uh, uh, to plan your run for 50s. governor. Then
0: I will say then. <laughs> if the weather is bad, then do your homework and uh, and 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 know that I will help you in any way I can.
1: Oh my goodness, these conversations are are help enough.
0: Richie Rich says, "If I become a teacher and a man for all seasons, who will know?" And he's uh, he's told uh, your students, your family, God. Not a bad public, that. Very good. You need to run, buddy.
1: <laughs>
0: if I have to come there.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you, this is such a great gig. Such a great gig.
0: I love you, Pete. We'll talk yeah, to you right, soon. Great to be with you, man. As okay, always. Bye. God bless. We'll be right back. to you, but call me Monday, please. You know how much I love talking to you, and it'll be a great way to set the week up. I appreciate it. Let me close the week with a thought that was given to me by a chat I was on with some friends of mine. We were debating the moment we're in, and one of them sent out a part of something G.K. Chesterton wrote, and I wanted to share it with you. I knew I wanted to. The Declaration of Independence, once the charter of democracy, begins by saying that certain things are self-evident. If we were to trace the history of the American mind from Thomas Jefferson to William James, we should find that fewer and fewer things were self-evident until at last hardly anything is self-evident. So far from it being self-evident to the modern man that men are created equal, it is not self-evident that men are created equal or even that men are men anymore. They are sometimes supposed to be monkeys muddling through a transition stage before the Superman. But there is not only doubt about mystical things, not even only about moral things. There is most of all doubt about rational things. I do not mean that I feel these doubts, either rational or mystical, but I mean that a sufficient number of modern people feel them to make unanimity an absurd assumption. Reason was self-evident before pragmatism. Mathematics were self-evident before Einstein, but this skepticism is throwing thousands into a condition of doubt, not about occult, but about obvious things. We shall soon be in a world in which a man may be howled down for saying that two and two make four, in which furious party cries will be raised against anybody who says that cows have horns in which people will persecute the heresy of calling a triangle a three-sided figure and hang a man for maddening a mob with the news that grass is green. I give you the times. Until Monday, God bless you all, and class dismissed.